Lord, thank you for the word of God that is always with us. Um, you have faithfully given us an account of, of a history of how you have been faithful. You have given us a gift, the scriptures. Now help them to come alive, that we could find not only the written word, but the living word, Jesus. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Okay, so Second um, Corinthians chapter eight. Um, I see some uh, some new folks here. Really good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Hope you feel connected here at Trinity. And if we can extend our love to you over a cup of coffee afterwards or during the week, love to hang out with you and get to know you. Uh, and I think you can get caught up to speed pretty quickly with uh, with our series. For many, many years, the Apostle Paul has been collecting money. He's been going around churches, and what's happened is a severe famine has hit the Jerusalem area. And it's gone on for many, many years. And so Paul has taken upon himself as as the apostle to the non-Jews, the Gentiles, to rally these non-Jewish churches and to say, look, we're all in this together. And let's support these folks who are devastated by this famine. Now, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, talks in detail about this offering. So it's a pretty big deal in our Bibles. Now, what's going on here is that essentially you've got the people of God who are Jews and Gentiles. And if you ever come across this phrase where Paul says, I'm a steward of the mystery of God, you ever come across that? Well, what Paul is saying is what really couldn't be seen clearly, and Paul's job is to make it clear, is what God envisioned for the world is a Jew-Gentile church. And Paul's job is to unveil that kind of mystery. God has always intended for there to be one people of God. So when God started this thing called Abraham, oh, this idea of Abraham's faith and with Abraham, way back in Genesis 12, a lot of confusion happened like, as if people had to be affiliated or ethnically connected to Abraham in order to be part of God's program. And we find that throughout, even the prophets mention this, that really it's Abraham's faith that's the big deal, not his DNA. And, of course, Jesus affirms this in many different ways and many many of his different teachings. It's not about being ethnically related to Abraham. It's having Abraham's faith. Well, the point of this is to say that Greeks and Macedonians and uh, people from Asia or what we would call Turkey today, all these folks and people around the world today can all be called Abraham's children And so let's express how we are all in the same family. And so this idea of the offering has developed. And um, so Paul says that this is an act of grace, right? Right up front, an act of grace. Now in our text, grace has been moving in a particular person, a man named Titus. Titus is a Greek. Titus is a co-worker with Paul, and he travels with Paul, and he's an effective co-worker. Titus is now becoming an emissary, a representative, and he, along with others, are going to be given this offering that's been collected, and they're going to travel. I sometimes think that these extra guys are kind of like bodyguards, (laughs) 
traveling with money in those days, kind of a, a little bit of a hazard. And so uh, there's, a group of, uh, there's a group of men who've been called out to t- deliver this offering to the Corinthians, and ultimately it's going to end up, it's going to get to Jerusalem. Corinth is a long way from, from Israel, by the way. So Titus is this emissary, and God has worked in Titus's heart to care about this offering. God has worked in Titus's heart to say, well, this is no longer just Paul's deal. This is mine. He's owning it. And much of what Paul says in our passage is, the grace of God that's evident in Titus is really cool. Look at this. He, of his own accord, of his own will, wants to go, travel dangerous roads, perhaps, and he wants to be part of this whole offering thing. And Paul is essentially saying, I can't imagine a better representative, a more reliable person, and he uses the word earnest, an old word. Any of us talk that way? That's an old English word. It's in our ESV Bibles, and it's in many other translations, earnest. Uh, There was a play called The Importance of Being Earnest, right? A funny, a a very humorous, uh, funny play. Um, Hmm. So, The topic today is kind of really focusing on one word, be or earnest, or two words, being earnest, right? Um, And you'll see this in various texts, but Paul essentially says that he doesn't have anyone who's like Titus. Look at verse 17. For he not only accepted our appeal, in other words, Paul appealed to him, but being himself very earnest, there it is, verse 17. He is going to you of his own accord to be an earnest person. An earnest person, uh, let's figure out how how do we define this word, to be earnest. It's to be sincere. It's to be serious. It's to be putting in extra effort. Um, Think of an athlete who is to show up at workout. And workout starts at 3 in the afternoon, but they show up at 2 p.m. They're earnest, or they stay longer than everyone else. They're pretty earnest, right? So to be earnest is a beautiful quality of sincerity. Right? I have other ideas about it. We'll talk more about that. But we live in a time when to be earnest really isn't that valued or esteemed. To be earnest means that you're going to follow through with that coffee meeting you promised someone You're not going to just text them 30 minutes before and say, oh, uh, I'm swamped at work, or I can't meet with you, and you come up with, well, some lame excuse. You don't leave people hanging. To be earnest means, well, it's very close to when Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So you're careful with your words, and when you commit yourself, you commit yourself. And now that kind of doesn't sound really complicated, but actually in our day and age, this is, really a, this is really a hard thing for us to experience. Now, one time I, was, I went to a home, a home expo down at the Blaisdell. So these were remodeling people and roofing companies and solar companies. Years ago, I went down to a, an expo for, for, for homes at the Blaisdell, right? So I'm walking around, and I go to this one area of handymen. All these are handymen. And one guy, several guys were showing how they could come and um, 
you could rely on them because they would hang up a ceiling fan for you. They'd show that all the small little projects. Some of you know how hard it is to find a good handyman or woman on the island, right? If you don't know, well, it is. So, so I walk up to this one guy, and in fact, I needed a, a, a ceiling fan hung. Now, your average homeowner can do this, but it's pretty tricky. So I walk up to him, I said, so, and so I give him this scenario. I say, okay, so on a given Saturday, if you're supposed to show up at 8 o'clock, will you be there? He says, of course, absolutely, here's my card. So I call him up, I say, you're hired, and guess what? On a given Saturday at 8 o'clock, I'm waiting and pacing in my driveway. Hmm, hmm, and guess what? The agreed-upon conversation that we had about timeliness, about earnestness, he didn't show. How about that? You're, you're sad for me, aren't you? Now, isn't that, now, is that our experience in this time in which we live? Now, I don't even know what happened. Maybe some crisis happened in his life, okay? But this is kind of like how we live. Like when we talk to people and we hear from their responses, like, well, they said yes, but do we? then you have to do all kinds of follow-up. You have to send some emails. You have to send a text. You have to, you have to do all this effort to make sure that that one little conversation you had is actually going to be meaningful, right? This is kind of the weight we carry around with us. This is why we become cynical. This is why we become detached. This is why we become more isolated. Because, quite frankly, people are not that earnest. Now, that might be a real broad, blanket, negative statement, but it's really something to think about. And obviously, when I preach, I'm reflecting on this passage a great deal. It's always good to do that before you preach. And I've been thinking about, huh, in the middle of our Bibles, we have this word earnest. In fact, that's the key quality of, of Titus. He's really earnest. And I've thought about, huh, huh. This is a whole, whole passage. This passage will never make it on in some inspirational calendar, by the way. You know what I'm saying? It's not, I'm not making fun of God's word. I'm just saying that it, it's just not going to jump out and someone's going to print something from this passage because it doesn't strike us as, as that significant. But actually, what I, what I found in this Second Corinthians study is, uh-huh, look at that truth right there that I would have skipped over. Interesting. The key quality of a deacon, earnestness, sincerity, desire to serve people, key quality of an associate pastor, shepherding, heart, relational, earnestness. Hopefully you see it in a senior pastor. Earnestness. In fact, if you got earnestness, you got everything. Actually, right? So, how does this become more central to our lives? And here's, I want to give you an observation about us as, well, as us as Christians. In 1998, there was an amazing thing going on in Major League Baseball. A guy named Mark McGuire of the St. Louis Cardinals was crushing the ball. And some of you who are not sports fans are going to tune out right now. But I don't know how many he beat. He finally hit more home runs than Babe Ruth. He got to sixty-two, right? And then I don't. What did he end up with? Sixty-nine or seventy-one or something like that. Some of you sports trivia people know. But he kept going. Now Mark McGuire was an amazing individual uh, by way of his talents. 
1998, in June of 1998, I'm at General Assembly, which is this gathering of elders in the PCA, and it's in St. Louis. So a group of us got there like a day early and went to see a Cardinals game. So I'm on a tram full of Cardinals people. They're all painted up, you know, the whole deal, right? The whole, it's like, wow, I'm with these, wow, okay. And then we had this seats out, seats out in the outfield, and you know what? Guess where home runs go? That's where they go. So here we are, and Mark McGuire is up at bat. This man, who like, I'm 420 feet away from him, and I can see that his biceps are as big as his thighs. <laughs> Look at him. How is it possible? And then ball comes flying out to us, but it hooks foul. But 400 feet, this ball, it was like, this is craziness. And the crowd, as the ball is in the air, the crowd is raising, there's these 50,000 people. It's amazing, right? Now, by the way, when you go to a stadium like that, you always, I mean, if I could wear a Cardinals outfit or some sort of, it always, it's always good. Don't wear the opposing teams. You Blend in, right? So it's dangerous, potentially dangerous. But So you're there with hundreds and hundreds of people around you who are St. Louis Cardinals fans. Now, here's what can happen to us. I'm, I'm not a Cardinals fan. I'm not really a baseball fan. World Series comes around. Okay, if it gets exciting, I'll watch. But here I am. And you know what? I got caught up in it. I probably looked like a Cardinals fan, and I probably believed I was a Cardinals fan at that moment, right? Well, I'm not really a Cardinals fan. I'm not saying I was a complete phony, but I was just sort of riding along with the crowd that day, right? So what it meant to be a Cardinals fan was happening to me, but it wasn't coming from me. That make sense? This is happening to me. So here's the deal with earnestness. I just want to talk to you. Earnestness is something that comes from within you. Titus is no longer a groupie. He's not just following Paul anymore. He's owning this thing. He's owning this idea that we're going to care about these believers in Jerusalem. It's inward. He's becoming the real deal. He's not living on the enthusiasm of someone else. And this is what happens to us. So, when we think about our own earnestness in our walk with God, are you pursuing that? Or do you, like me that day, kind of ride on the enthusiasm of these Cardinals fans? And for a moment, it kind of works for me, but I'm not a Cardinals fan. So what I'm, what I'm saying is this, is that as important as what we're doing here is, ask yourself this question. Am I living outside of myself, riding on the approval of others, the enthusiasm of others? Is God's grace working in me an earnestness? I'm owning this. I want to be part of the mission of God at a personal level. Paul cares for the Corinthians, even though they're a trouble. Excuse me, Titus 
cares for the Corinthians, even though they're a troubled church. This gathering of a commission or these emissaries all have a concern for the Corinthians that they would join in this love offering and this gift. They're going to be traveling through dangerous roads, no doubt, but it's the reliability of Titus that Paul counts on to make sure this offering is going to get there. Titus is all in. Titus wasn't a groupie of the Apostle Paul. Among the Protestant tradition, it's called private judgment. So this is a really, really important thing. So when you encounter your Bible and you read your Bible, you need to think about what do you truly believe and work on that. What would you believe on a deserted island all by yourself? This is rooted mostly in Martin Luther, but other reformers as well. The idea is that I can't be a groupie all my life. In seminary, I saw lots of people who were groupies of certain teachers. And, well, at some point, you've got to own it yourself and ask yourself, what do I truly believe? Titus was awakened to his identity as a believer his identity as a believer. Today, we touch down lightly on things. We're scattered everywhere. Our screens are directing us everywhere. And really, to be an earnest person, well, that's not going to happen by multitasking for 12 hours a day. To be earnest means to be a reflective, deeply thoughtful person. That's what Christianity actually is drawing us to. So, all that's going on with our media and technology, all of this is mitigating against earnestness. We make commitments quickly, toss out a direction for our life, but really we're just chasing novelties. I read an article about why so many people in San Francisco are flakes. <laughs> it was a fascinating article. And the person had grown up and lived there, so I guess they could speak with authority on that subject. But it was basically this, that, well, everyone's surrounded with technology, and so what's happening is the novelty of new applications, the novelty of new stuff on, their, on the phone is, is just gripping everyone's attention. And so novelty is just ripping up commitment, relational commitment. We love novelty, though. We love chasing something new. Titus was really bearing down on to will, as Kierkegaard would say, to will one thing. This is what Jesus is teaching in Matthew 6.33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. The issue of our hearts is attention. The mission of God, the great event of world history is underway. The gospel, the mercy of God, the forming of God's people around the world, the final people of God, the people of the last stage of world history, the last chapter in the book, that's us. A massive drama is underway. And Titus 
inserts himself into this massive drama and says, count on me. I want to will one thing with my life, and that is to follow this God, seek his kingdom, and to do mission. Grace in Christ has produced an irresistible character quality. And it looks like reliability. How about that? Reliability. Reliability and consistent zeal. And central to this passage is character. The character of a person who is determined, resolute, enthusiastic, dedicated, wholehearted, heartfelt, sincere, full-hearted. I'm giving you synonyms for earnest. And this grace is fighting against our natural tendency to just turn toward ourselves and our own wants. Titus did not want to be just in the crowd, appearing to be part of the enthusiasm that others have or kind of riding on their enthusiasm. He was owning it. Mark Twain famously said that sincerity is everything. If you can fake that, you've got it made. What is it about those four little four-foot-tall creatures that Tolkien created, Pippin and Mary, Frodo and Sam? What is it that draws us to them? What is it that causes us to, we can't wait for the next scene or next chapter in the books or the movies? What is it? They're going to be tested. And are they going to be earnest? Are they going to be faithful to the commitment they've made? Will they really hold up with that strange creature running after them? Will they really make it? And it's a most frightful world. And it's a very dangerous world. Will their earnestness hold them up? Grace works in us a certain quality. It's an anti-flake, anti-flake quality. We become steadily reliable people. Now, all of this can be seen as a moralistic sermon, and I want to actively avoid that. Now, moralism is essentially, look, here's what you need to be, now be it, right? So moralism is just telling people to be something, exhorting them to act a certain way, and not giving them any hope in the gospel. So I want to give you some hope in the gospel. And this is what it looks like. You're never going to be earnest enough. So shake off your, shake off your guilty fears. Just relax. But don't underestimate the power of grace. And here it is. The power of grace is rooted in the earnest one. The one who was earnest for you. The one who, when tested severely with this awful idea that he would take upon himself our sins, this cup of wrath, he asked that this cup would pass from him, but in all earnestness said, 
I am yours, O Father. I will not flake. And I will do what is needed in order to accomplish the good goal. Titus is a small reflection, but we see in Titus the willingness to embrace the will of God and to potentially suffer for that. Titus is walking with the earnest one, Jesus. And it's the overflow of it is now really what Paul's excited about. What we should be excited about is that life transformation. And here's the big deal. God is working in you, and I want you to know that. Earnestness is an important quality that the Spirit is now working in you to produce. You're not alone in this quest. It's not just you, you know, ruggedly determining or jotting in your journal, all right, be earnest today. It's trust in the earnest one. Cast your heart upon him. Lord, I am a failure at consistency. I'm that ceiling fan guy. When you called upon me to show up and to, and to be reliable, I slept in. But there's one who didn't. And he's my righteousness. Receive me again. Work in me these qualities that I would, of my own, resist. And also, Lord, help me be a reflective person. Help me to put away, perhaps even on the Lord's day, put your cell phone in a, in a box somewhere in your house. Go with Titus into the deeper, earnest places where God can develop this wonderful quality, the this, this sincerity. Go deeper into the sincerity. Don't treat the Lord's day as a day for Costco runs and, and, and the busyness that occupies your Monday. God has given you a day of reflection to say, oh, I am living like a fan in the stadium. I am taking on the praise of other people. I'm taking on the, the screams and yells of other people. I'm taking on the worship of other people. All the while, I'm a stranger to myself. Titus has grown in his identity. Carl, Carl Rogers, a very influential counselor and writer about counseling, non-Christian counseling. It was Carl Rogers who's, who came up with the idea of the authentic self. Everyone's trying to be authentic today. Well, let me use that. Titus, before his God, before the mercy of God, became authentic. In a sense, he became, came out from underneath Paul as a groupie of Paul. And the grace became powerful and courageous. So may this, may this grace overtake us and cause us to be solidly connected to the purposes God would have for us, the singular purposes becoming much more focused like our Savior. Let me pray for us.
Lord, we are just scrambling as a culture. We are just trying to figure out and trying to trying to get the most out of life. And we are running, Lord. We are running. And Father, we are capable of remarkably muddled thinking. And our loves are all over the place. And you, by your grace, are seeking us to will one thing. Father, reduce the fear in our hearts that you would ever be about something that is not good for us. Help us to become earnest disciples in light of the resurrected King. Lord, help us to be honest with our own distracting of ourselves and how we create activities so that we will not know ourselves, how we want to be lost to the crowd and to take on their identity. Lord, we ask that things would not happen to us, but your grace would happen within us. And, oh, Lord, what an age we, we live in. What an opportunity, an age where we could hold forth light and earnestness and purpose and mission and, yes, authenticity. Lord, I can't imagine what it would have been like for the Corinthians to encounter Titus. Titus was the real deal. Lord, help, help us that we could, people could say, for your glory, these people... Those people there at Trinity, they're the real deal. They're earnest. They're earnest. Do that for your glory, Lord. And we, we ask these things in the name of the one who was earnest for us, Christ, our mediator, priest, and king. Amen. Amen.